Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Matt Bailey. In the last episode, we discussed strategies to chase real profits and not just vanity numbers. In today's episode, Matt will teach us how to teach new dogs old tricks, including identifying emotional needs of our customers, applying the mom test, not muddying the water, removing friction, and acquiring the best customers. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. So I love that you brought up your most recent book. Can you share with us a, a few more key takeaways and, and stories maybe from, from that Teach New Dogs Old Tricks book? Yeah, absolutely. So I take asking questions and I apply that digitally. How do we ask questions digitally? And we do that through keyword research. We go look for the words that people are searching for when they have a problem. Now, most times I see companies, they'll do keyword research about their company, their brand name, or about their product. The thing is, people don't search with a product in mind. They don't search with a brand in mind. They search with a need. So what need does our product fill? What are the needs people have? And so doing keyword research helps me not only understand the need that people have, but how they describe that need. What are the trigger words? What are the emotional words? What are the words that signify not only intent, but also the intent to purchase, to make a decision? Are they comparing right now? Are they early stage where they're using very general keywords? Or are they mid-stage where they're now defining what type of solution they want? So really researching those words is like asking questions. What's your need? What are you going to use this for? How soon do you need it? Uh, that's where keyword research is so powerful. Uh, but then also, uh, one of the things I learned, and, and this was always fun uh, because most of the time it, we were in groups of two as salespeople in the software company. And uh, you would, and anyone who's in sales knows this, when you've got someone on the line, when they're ready to, to sign, the hardest thing in the world is to stop selling uh, because you know they're ready to go and you want to start throwing more stuff out. They're ready to sign. Let's get more stuff on the deal. Uh, and our word or our phrase to each other to, to kind of check ourselves was stop muddying the water. Yeah. They understand what's going on. They're ready to sign. Stop muddying the water. Digitally, I equate that to what do we do on our websites when someone's ready to you know, when they're looking for information and they're ready to fill out that lead form, what's the worst thing we could do? Give them a pop-up, uh, you know, ask them for more information, make 20 required fields. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, we do the same thing on our website where we make it difficult. We put obstacles, we put friction in their path, which prevents them from doing what they want to do. So there's a lot of ways that we can apply a lot of these sales principles to how we treat people online. I love it. I love they brought up friction. That's a topic I've been thinking a lot about. I've been working with the company uh, doing that as a, as a current product project for them uh, is trying to help them remove friction from their process. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? How do we remove friction from our processes? The best thing. So when I had my agency, we would joke about this. We called it the mom test. That's because uh, I paid my mother to be a tester for websites. Um, now, my, I, and now I, I'm 
not an ageist by any means. If you know my mother, you'd understand. She, you know, she was a, a teacher when they were bringing computers into the classroom and she absolutely hated it. She now probably knows more about computers at 80 years old than she did, you know, back when we had the agency. And it's because, you know, it's like, I want someone who doesn't know what to expect. I want someone who's not familiar, who, you know, who's not going to try and hammer away at this because that's not reality. I want someone who from the first, when I give them a task, here's what I want you to do on this website, who's going to be completely honest about what they think, who's going to run into obstacles and not be sure what to do. And so we called everything the mom test. And she identified so many friction points on so many websites. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it reminded me, I should probably go tell her just how much money she is responsible for <laughs> making our clients. I mean, millions of dollars are traced to her testing and the obstacles that she found that we would go back, change it, and we'd see it a dramatic, dramatic change in conversion rates uh, simply by, mom, go to this website and I want you to buy a pink t-shirt. You know, and she would just list. I don't understand this. What are the, what is this? I don't, where am I supposed to click those types of things? That's the easiest and most inexpensive way to remove friction on a website. I love that you did that. You, I've heard other people kind of talk about this concept, um, you know, make my website easy enough that my mom could use it, but I've never heard anybody actually do it. Get their mom actually on the website to help identify those friction points. And, mm -hmm. and I think most businesses should do that. I think most entrepreneurs and CEOs should do that. They should go find somebody that is not technically savvy, that does not understand how their business works. They should put them in front of the computer and they should record them trying to go through their process. And they should probably do that 10 times. Oh. And they will be shocked at how many points of friction there are. And if we can yeah. just get rid of those friction points. It's amazing how much we can improve our conversion rate because we often have, you know, 10 different steps in our process and you, you fix, you improve your conversion 2% in this step and 5% in this step. And, you know, pretty soon you have a pretty significant improvement in your conversion mm -hmm. funnel. Absolutely. And it gets to the point where you do enough of those tests, you don't have to do tests because you know, you've got mentally 20 things I need to look at. And we, we did this with one, one client, a very well-known brand, called us in, we're having troubles. Their, their conversion rate on their website was less than a 0.01%. Wow. I looked at the checkout page and right away, I'm like, one, two, three, four. Okay, there's five things you need to fix here. <laughs> and it was all very obvious things to me because we'd been doing the testing. And they changed those things. They went from a 0.01% conversion rate to a 3.5% conversion rate. And that was a difference of over $30 million in a quarter. Uh, it, it just, bam, all of a sudden everything worked. Prior to that, no one was even attempting to get through it because it was difficult. Uh, so it was one of those where it was just a, I, I said, man, I wish I'd have charged him by the second instead of the, <laughs> the hour. Cause that was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's a great illustration of why conversion rate optimization is so important because 
they were already paying for those visitors to come to the site anyway. Those yeah. visitors were already arriving. And the difference between 0.01 and a 3% conversion rate, that's a 30 times increase in conversion. Do you want 30 times more of your customers that you're already paying for that are already coming to your website to convert? Right. Mm -hmm. Simple strategies that can make a, a massive difference in the absolutely profit of an organization. Yep. And you, and you learn that through, you know, if that's the way you think about it. And when you see a lot of these tests done, you just start to learn what to look for and it becomes second nature. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go back to this book really quick. Any other key takeaways from teaching your dogs old tricks that you could share with our audience? Uh, number, well, another, you know, kind of some simple sales, uh, phrases we always use like build rapport. Uh, well, how do you build rapport digitally? And that goes back to my keyword research. If I know what people want, uh, and, and I know the questions they're asking, well, then that should guide me in the content that I produce should guide me in the experience they have on my website. And that's how I build rapport. I build rapport by building trust, by answering the right questions. I see a lot of companies right now, uh, because of the emphasis on inbound or content marketing, they're producing a massive amount of content. But I, I could tell you right now, if I look at their analytics, the vast majority of that content is not being read, uh, nor is it being looked at or found. It's because you think you know what the questions are and you're just producing content, but you're not doing the research to find out what questions people are actually asking. So if I'm going to build rapport with someone, then I need to know what they need. And that's through interviews. That's through research. That's through asking your current customers questions. What problem yes. did we solve? What did it enable you to do? Um, that's one way. Second one, and I absolutely love this, and this gets more to the sales process, and it's called knowing the need behind the need. Here's the situation. I I'll, I'll use this illustration. I took my daughter shopping for shoes, all right? Now, not the typical, you know, she is a skater Converse girl, which I absolutely love because I love Converse growing up. Those are my favorite shoes. Uh, but what I wasn't prepared for is when we went into this store, there's 200 kinds of Converse, all different colors, different styles. I was not prepared for that. All I was prepared for, do you want white, black, blue, or red? Yeah. That's what I thought we were getting into. Because that's what Converse was when we were kids, right? Right, yeah. So I'm like, okay, go to it. I get out my phone. I'm doing, you know, the dad thing. I'm, looked, I'm checking my email and I'm thinking within about three minutes, she's going to go, you know, here we go, dad. No. 10, 15 minutes later, I don't wear, you know, let's check out. I go and I see her and she's got about six pairs sitting on a bench and she's taking pictures of them. I'm like, what are you doing? She's sending them to her friends. Exactly. <laughs> she is sending pictures to her friends, asking them what they think about this. Now, all of a sudden, and, and this is what I love about my journalism. And I, I took marketing courses and psychology courses throughout, you know, my, and, and all of a sudden it's like Maslow's hierarchy comes into my brain that she is looking for social validation. The need, physical, immediate need is shoes. The emotional, deeper need is social validation. And that's the need behind the need. So many times we position our product or we position our service as, hey, this will help you. Help me do what? Uh, that we need to think about what, what's that emotional satisfaction that we're providing. So for example, 
you know, when I had my agency, it wasn't, we're going to get you rankings. It wasn't, we're going to increase sales. It was, if I improve your sales by 30%, what does that enable you to do? Wow. I, you know, and, and I haven't business owners. I had never thought of that. Uh, and, and because by now I've shifted the entire argument, I've shifted what I'm trying to sell. I'm not right. selling us as an agency that we're going to improve your rankings. What I'm selling now is it would allow me to take a vacation. It would allow me to hire someone to take some of this work off me. It would allow me now. Ooh, wow. Now this is a deeper need. Now we're persuading at a completely emotional level rather than I would say more of a cerebral, uh, again, top of the pyramid self-actualization if we're thinking about Maslow, which is I'll get your business higher rankings. Mm -mm. Yeah, Everyone's selling that. What I'm selling you is more time, more money, and what are you going to do with it? That changes everything. I, I'll, I'll give another story here because this yes, was uh, when I was in the software business, I, I lost a sale. And so this was, this was, we had software and we were selling into the New York times. They were my client. And I'll never forget that the decision maker told me, Matt, the software that you guys have, it checks all the boxes. Logically, you are the best choice and you'll hear from me in the next couple of days. Wow. I'm on the airplane home. I am counting, you, you know, I'm getting ready to spend that commission because uh, this was huge. This was not only getting in the New York Times, it was getting into all the satellite uh, newspapers that print the New York Times across the country. That was our software was, was involved in the printing. And a week goes by and I don't hear anything. A couple more days. And my, of course, my boss is like, where is it? Thought it was coming. Where is it? You know, everyone, everyone in the organization was ready for this. Uh, I called him and I said, I, I haven't heard what, what's happened. And he, and he says, man, I'm so sorry. Um, and I, I hate to tell, tell you this. He says, but no one ever got fired staying with, and, and he gave me the, the, basically the competitor who is in all the accounts, uh, they're the legacy. We were the yeah. startup. And he says, no one ever got fired staying with the legacy, legacy provider. <sighs> Again, Maslow's hierarchy comes into my brain. Yeah. Because I'm selling in him on, with this software, it'll decrease chargebacks. It will increase uh, your proofs. It will increase the, I'm giving him all of the business slash organizational benefits that will benefit the New York Times, but not him as an individual. That's right. And where he made his decision, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, safety and security is like near the bottom. It's with air, okay? <laughs> safety and security, job and home and family. I was selling up here. This is what this is going to do organizationally. He made his decision down here that if I take a chance on a new company and something goes wrong, I could lose my job. Yep. That's where he made his decision. And that that actually happened very early and that changed how I viewed sales from then on that. And, and if you look at any advertising on television, no one sells a product at the emotional level for the need that it satisfies. Uh, I was showing someone this the other day, cooking oil is not shown at the level of where cooking oil is on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. Oil is oil. We need it for food. But when you connect cooking oil to, hey, my mother used this, my grandmother used this, 
and right. all the commercials about cooking oil involve family and tradition and handing things down from one generation to the next. It's not about whether it cooks your food. It's about the emotional connection to family and community. Every commercial focuses on a, an emotional need that is deeper than the actual need that it satisfies. One more thing. Uh, okay, who's your best customers? Now, when I say best, how do you define best? You see that, and that's one thing that I find a lot in corporate culture. We use a lot of these adjectives, but if I'm a stakeholder and I say, who are our best customers? You as the marketing director might interpret best differently than me. So again, this was one of those questions we had organizationally that we're like, well, how do we answer this? Who's our best customer? Now, if I'm thinking solely in terms of financial, then my best customers are the ones that spend the most with me. Okay. And I should spend more time with them. I, I should reward that. And you're not wrong doing that. However, I also looked at my best customers as the one that they might not spend the most, but they've been with me the longest. They refer new business to me. Yep. And here's the final thing. I love working with them. Yeah. If they were to call and ask me to do anything beyond the scope of our agreement, I would do it because I love them. We have a great relationship. And, and like I said, they're, make, they're doing referrals. If I need a reference, I send people there. So how do you define best? If it's financial, great, run with it. But I'm also looking at people I enjoy working with. Yeah. Now, those are my best customers. How do I treat them better? How do I make them loyalists? How do I reach out to them and reward them for being so awesome? And so this gets into my, you know, and it's your 80-20 rule. It's typically 20% of your customers are your best customers and they're responsible for 80% of your business. So how do you reward them? How do you recognize them? Uh, and, and so find out who your best customers are and define what you mean by best. Because when you focus on the best, then what you're logically going to do is produce more of that kind of customer. And I didn't just want the customer that spent the most money. Yep. I want the customer I like working with. And so if I invest in that, I'll get more referrals from them. And they'll refer people that they like working with and that they recommend. And in that way, now I've just doubled my best customers. And, and now they're 40% of my business because I'm focusing on the people that I love to work with and I'm developing that relationship. Uh, that, that, that was a great, great lesson to learn. And it was one of the things that really, really, um, I, I look back on uh, 2008, 2009 is probably one of the roughest years of our business of, of many people's businesses uh, during the, that financial crash. It was these principles that helped us survive and really focusing on people. And so, yes, when my best customers called and said, you know what, Matt, uh, we can't afford, we've got to cut somewhere. Uh, they were open to it when I said, you know what, let's sit down and let's look at right now what your marketing is producing in terms of sales and revenue for you. Would you be willing to sit with us and, you know, we, we report this out every month, but let's really take a look because if you cut your budget, if you cut here, what does that mean for revenue? 
And many of them hadn't thought of that. And so because we had the relationship, they were open to the conversation. And it ended up that a lot of our clients, you know, we lost some that were in the industry's hard hit. But the ones that we were able to sit down and show them, based on what you're spending, here's your revenue and here's your profitability. If you stop spending this, you're going to lose out and you won't survive this this. Uh, this financial crash. So it really comes down to knowing, you know, what do you want? And when you define best, and then how do you grow that? So if I was in that spot, and I identified my best customers, um, as, as you've defined them, how do I go about finding more of those people? Uh, through referrals. That's the biggest thing. I don't yeah. have to go find them. Uh, I, I looked at you know, who I enjoy working with, who are our loyalists. And the more we took care of them, you know, and I, I, and I looked at it this way, that if they're a business owner, the chances are they're in the local community, they're in a local chamber of commerce, and they know somebody else. I mean, entrepreneurs are a special breed of people and they hang out with other entrepreneurs. Yeah. They love sharing ideas and helping each other. And so the best thing that they could do for me is if you have a friend who has a website, has a business, any of that, I didn't have to ask for referrals. They just did. They're like, you've got to talk to our agency. This is what they've done for me. They had a story to tell. And so they became my best salespeople. They became the source of referrals. I didn't have to do much other than I'm going to send you cool stuff. I'm going to thank you profusely for your business. And I'm going to develop... More of, I'm not going to treat you this way because you give me money. I'm going to treat you this way because I see you as a friend and not just a, a client. So what do I do to deepen that friendship and, and develop that rather than client agency relationship? It's, it's wishing someone a happy birthday, sending them a yeah. card. Uh, you, you know, we, we started investing a lot in doing more gifts and I don't care if it's not a write-off, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, that's the wrong way to look at it because recognizing someone for what they're doing for your business, man, it just makes them more loyal. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, we can identify what our customers' emotional needs are and communicate how we can help them with those needs. Number two, we can research keywords from our customer's point of view so we can help them find our products or services easier. Number three, we must know when to stop selling and muddying the waters with our potential customers. Number four, we should apply the mom test to remove the friction from our business. Friction can be removed from our website by having someone who isn't involved in the business test it, and also someone who might not be very technically savvy. Number five, we should analyze and identify our best customers. When we find who our best customers are, we can focus on them and will lead us to finding more of those kinds of customers. If you want to learn more about Matt or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn or check out sitelogicmarketing.com to learn more. And there's links to both of those websites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, get a free ebook about passion marketing and subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at passionmarketing.com. Number two, please subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast and YouTube channel. 
Number three, please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. What old tricks have you taught to new dogs? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success as you teach new dogs old tricks. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.